Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, I talk about four different types of freedom, time, financial, location, and health freedom. And in that light, I always like to bring people that are have different views, bring innovative, interesting views on cutting edge things such as finances, the economy, pol- politics. And so today we have um, Gene Valentino, and he is actually a serial entrepreneur, but he has a lot of interesting views on, you know, hyperinflation, the market, you know, the government, you know, we're not advocating any sort of ideology here. We're just discussing, you know, what we're seeing and how we can adjust accordingly in these crazy times. So I'll let Gene introduce himself and tell him and welcome him. So, Gene, welcome. Doctor, thank you very much. This is an honor to be with you. Nice to chat with you just to get an understanding of this uh, scope of what we want to talk about today. Crazy world, crazy times. <laughs> it's like it's almost everything is interconnected and one thing affects another. And, you know, you're listening to one thing and, you know, we have war, you have, you know, countries going. So uh, tell us more about yourself and how you got started. Well, I thought I was going to be an actor, and in 1973, I did a, the Stridex medicated pad television commercial. That ended up paying for four years of college. I did the United States Navy commercial right after that. I was second choice for John Boy on the Waltons, the old TV series called The Waltons. In fact, Richard Thomas got the part, and he had the same agent I did. I learned rather quickly acting was something I didn't want to do. I finished my uh, uh, degrees at the University of Connecticut, uh, Master's in Business Administration, and a minor in journalism. My dad was a news correspondent at Mutual News Radio Network in New York City. We lived in Connecticut at the time, so at the ripe young age of 16 to 18, I'd take the New Haven Railroad train uh, two hours down into Manhattan and do my tv stuff uh we were poor we didn't have much to brag about and um my dad no one gave him a a break and um i was the oldest of four children we had a very uh, well-established work ethic we believed in the concept of hard work and 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 earning your earnings today were were to be invested for tomorrow 
uh, not spent today, but earned, saved for tomorrow. And that cloudy, rainy day that may be around the corner, you don't hear about, you don't see. And uh, so that was sort of the way I was raised. And uh, I, I always wanted to get back into television and and uh, journalism. And at uh, the end of my life now, at 68 years of age, I find it very interesting that with all the business things I have done and still I am doing, uh, I have one toe in this in the water with uh, augmented reality and artificial intelligence and this whole new world of social media and ergo you and me doing a podcast together <laughs> is sort of the uh, genesis of um, how my life I feel has come full circle. There's so much more to share. Yeah, uh, I don't know where you want to begin. Uh, well, uh, you know what's interesting is I always like uh, so I I'm a Gen X millennials, but um, you know you know when a lot of people I talk to are you know millennials or Gen Z, so they you know they had no idea what you know we went through, and uh, I always like talking about talking with individuals with such as yourself. You have a lot of experience and knowledge, and um, you know you you can. You know you have a lot of experience so uh you know today's going to be talking all about uh finance and the economy and how politics play so uh we'll go i will just start out just big um uh picture you know future future of america just tell us and then we'll riff off of that i'm confident that america has a bright future although there's good reason to feel the opposite right now and there's a power in the spirit uh, of the people uh, to want to survive, revive, and step forward to repair and maybe replace some of the wrongdoing that surrounds us. But I think sometimes in the American, we have to get get our butts kicked a little and um, maybe get it, what I would call gen a generational slap in the face. We made that mistake politically during Vietnam, and look what happened. Uh, we we find ourselves rebound in in generations over social and political issues. The beauty about the American system is it has a mechanism in it in its in the democratic uh, republic concept that um, it has the ability self repair itself without anarchy or uh autocratic takeover it seems there's too many fingers in the pie to prevent any one uh authority or power force from taking over ultimate control of uh, america and therein lies the stability in the american dollar therein lies the stability in the way uh, the world looks at us as a credible partner and more internally in the states for most who do not uh, engage in world trade, uh, there is a banking system that has credibility in the world market that um, the rest of the world looks at, albeit the up-and-coming rise of Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies, alternatives to the dollar and the money system as we've known it today. So we are going through a, a genesis uh, one of my partners is uh, Peter Diamandis from California. Uh, he's very much involved in Abundance 360. He has it annually in the Beverly Hills area, but he's also an entrepreneur entrepreneur. He is, uh, you invited me on as an entrepreneur. He's my model. He's 
He's got hundreds of deals going, and uh, uh, in in some of them, he is a master at identifying the opportunities that can be engendered in the American system, whether they're domesticated in the United States or or working abroad. And uh, I've learned a lot from him. He has a book entitled "The Future Is Faster Than You Think." So. If you remember, remember the Remington typewriter or the Royal Manual typewriter. Now you're Gen X; you may not be uh, have had your hands on that keyboard, but uh, but in the early days, typing and being a journalist, you were working literally off a piece of paper, rolling in and typing, not a keyboard or an iPad like we have today. Royal and Smith Corona and others, Remington, literally overnight went bankrupt and out of business because they were not willing to morph into a newer technology of uh, computers and the various uh, types of computers. So the future became faster than you think. Other people scoffed at it, laughed at it, and they went out of business. That's one example. Another example, which I uh, use in my cl entrepreneur class I teach at the local college, is the blockbuster being going bankrupt to whom the encroachment of netflix and other internet media delivery systems they just were not willing to be elastic enough to flex during the necessary time for change i remember back in 1984 just got married uh didn't have a pot to pee in i um i had twenty thousand dollars from my uh, my wedding with my wife that my wife and I got from our wedding and family. And then I had a house we had just uh, uh, purchased. And I, I, there was this new thing at the time. It just came out, eight, 1984, called a line of credit. <laughs> it was an equity line of credit against the, uh, the equity in your home. <laughs> I'll never forget it. So I put together 40, I took 20,000 out of the house. 20,000 out of the savings account. So I had a bucket of of $40,000 and the federal government came up with this crazy idea called cellular telephone. Now, when you talk to your friends about it, they'd look at you and say, a phone the size of a calculator? You must be kidding. Uh, it was a lottery process that the federal government was putting together at the time. This is the early to mid 80s. And throughout the nation, the government broke up the country into five different blocks. And within each of the blocks, you created a partnership. Well, I was put into this partner without a choice with 19 other people. And, um, and we applied 1,700 times to 1,700 license areas the government had zoned out, if you will, franchise areas, for lack of a better term. And, and uh, we were in a lottery process. So my family's looking at me. I took the $40,000 from savings in the equity line, and I invested in a lottery process. The craziest damn thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> lottery process was no guarantee. You spend it and you don't win the lottery, you lose it. There was no equity. There was no ROI. Uh, it was all in or or and not a, and you could lose all of it or, or or you would lose all of it regardless but the return was was a was a chance it was a gamble by the grace of god on my birthday in 9480 
I get a call from the Federal Communications Commission. Mr. Valentino, congratulations. You just won the lottery for RSA number 339 in Central California. I said, great. Where do I cash in my ticket? <laughs> oh, oh, no, sir. You don't understand. You have uh, 18 months to build a phone company throughout the Central Valley of California in the design zone of this area. Now, I remind you, I have 19 other partners I never met before. Oh, we got together and we said to each other while the sharks were forming to take us out. And I said, we, we met after and we said, hey, guys, we must have something of value because these sharks over here, the big boys in the game that preceded us by a few years, these sharks already purchased 25% interest of our partnership at like three cents on the dollar, these people bailed. And I, we looked at each other and we said, I don't know you, you don't know me, but there's the enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we figure out how to make it work? And we did, we figured out how to raise the money. We picked, we, we, we had no more equity in our houses. We were all poor. So we, we, the, and at the time the banks looked at it as an HLT, a highly leveraged transaction so they weren't anxious to lend money we ended up getting a loan from ericsson radio systems for about 12.5 million dollars and 3.5 million dollars of it was working capital the balance was to be used to build the towers the cell sites the you know the different kinds of towers and it was really an education for me my trade was insurance at the time i had a little insurance agency the Travelers Insurance Company got behind me and took a chance on me. I had the science through the contractors we hired of learning about cellular towers. And the short story, try not to make it any longer, the short story is the, um, the insurance company, Travelers, got behind me. We formed a, a policy. I wrote the insurance policy called InsuraCell, and I went around insuring cellular phone companies all over the country as a targeted niche just to pay my bills because we weren't making anything. I was broke. We finally turned it on seven days before the 18-month deadline. And with just one tower running, within the course of a few years, we had 160 towers of different styles, types, throughout the Central Valley of California. Our revenue stream went from $67,000 on the first month. We had no customers. This is just roaming revenue at the time of people coming in. So we, we uh, 67,000 the first month. Within two years, we were at $3.6 million a month in revenue. Sold the company 10 years after we turned it on. That took us up to 1996 for $125 million. Nice. So <laughs> that was the start. I put my little insurance business aside and I said, let me uh, try to retire. That la planting tomatoes in the backyard lasted about seven days. <laughs> I, um, I, got, I, I had to do something. I was too itchy. So uh, we formed Valentino Holdings. And since then, the story gets longer. We got into different uh, technologies and uh, uh, we just expanded in different uh, areas. I was not married to anyone. And that was the key thing. I think I was smart. One thing I'll give myself credit for 
is you got to be careful not to get too obsessed or married to it. We all have the the ma and pa that had the country store or the deli and they're great, but boy, there's a, every one of them has a lifeline to them and you must be aware to know when it's in time to leave or whether you hold on to it forever and pass it on to your grandchildren. Yeah. That's it's so, you, you said so many um, interesting things. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Peter Diamandis too. And, um, uh, you know, it's AD 360 and uh, his book as well. And um, really the power of technology. And it seems like these days, the United States is kind of the um, best of the worst. So you see, uh, you know, it's kind of every country is in the same situation, excessive debt, you know, inflation, central bank, you know, you can name it. And then, uh, so, you know, it's up, it's going to be technology and how we it's going to be the intersection of culture, technology, media, and finance that's going to sort of progress and move us into the next era. So um, the other thing that you mentioned was that, um, which is really interesting, is that uh, I've studied the decline of civilizations all the way, you know, Rome, then England, and then that's how the United States become the world superpower was in the 40s after World War II and Europe was decimated. And then now we have you know, China and India, Russia, we have uh, countries trying to uh, reduce their dependence on the US dollar. And, you know, so there's this whole geo plan that's, you know, playing out, we, we don't know what's going to be the, the eventual outcome. But uh, you have some interesting ideas, um, which is really interesting. I know a lot of people would uh, be interested in learning more about you. I know you uh, you know, you look, you have, you've been photographed with Newt Gingrich and a lot of prominent politicians. So uh, how can people follow you, um, uh, contact you, uh, or visit your website? Well, I, for the purposes of this conversation, I'll stay away from the politics of it all, but you can go to www. As it says on the screen, uh, you'll find uh, economic opportunities there. And yeah, you'll get a taste of my history and my background. Uh, I, I'm not in politics now because I, I tell you the way it is. And um, that's not always, I, I'm not, I, I'm a lousy politician, I guess, is the, which is maybe a good thing. <laughs> I, I, um, I'll tell it to you the way it is. I'm a truthful and honest person. Uh, I've made my money honestly. And as I've said in my website, I've probably left money on the table, but I slept well at night staying on the high road yeah. and not compromising my ethics or my standards. It was too easy in politics to do that. Mm -hmm. And we must make a course correction as a nation, as a world, to be more authentic in our uh, opinions and uh, do things that are ethical and, and work towards a greater good. Yeah. There's an old saying, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And, and I think some of the folks not just, you know, America is very self-deprecating. That's probably why it's the longest lasting, as hard as we are on us and as hard as the rest of the world is to criticize us. We are the longest standing governance in the world. That isn't just of luck. It's because we've had a system in place that self-checks itself, which is what I was referring to in the beginning. And uh, we brag on our riches and we 
we are um, um, we are brought before the firing line when we're we've made our mistakes, yeah. and and so I think the pendulum in government swings from one extreme to another. When I was a local county commissioner, I noticed that uh, in the county I was elected, I was one of five county commissioners that served. There's there's five positions in the county the, it, between 2006 and 2014, and during that time you could watch the power and influence of the county commissioner really grow. So the pendulum swung one way where we thought our you-know-what didn't stink and that we were pretty powerful. But there was a self-correction that went on, and the pendulum swung back the other way. In the middle, it was okay. It was a collaborative relationship with the administrative team of the county. But then the county, then the administration started getting too powerful, and and minimize quashing the influence or uh, authority vested in the commissioner and as a result these administrator types got pinched so i think the whole concept of our democracy on a broad basis is that there's a built-in tension doctor that kind of is a constant give and take that occurs for self-correction it's almost like tidal exchange in the ocean Whereas other autocratic forms of government, Marxist or communist forms of government, end up being so scaled at the top with power that there's an eventual collapse. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I think we've seen in most nations of the world at different times. But for some reason, by the grace of God, the United States has been a uh, has been a stabilizing influence. Admittedly, right now it doesn't look that way. We are to blame for that. We we reap what we sowed and uh, you know the thing with a democracy is we voted in who we wanted and we may sometimes regret who we voted for uh, that's what we're uh taking a look at right now i guess yeah but in this environment it's the most stable you to consider investment strategies relative to other areas of the world where you have a great idea to bring to a foreign country but what I might take for granted is if I was to do something in the uh, Central America or South or South African country is the stability of the government itself. Mm-hmm. So while I think I've got a good contract in place to grow a business idea as an entrepreneur, the government may come in with a new regime and say, the heck with your contract. We don't give two hoots about it. Uh, it has no standing with us. And therein goes your millions of dollars you invested, and that's the that's the peril that you run up against. The way it's been mitigated many many times, many places, is through a World Bank system, through st- letters of credit or standby letters of care- credit that work as sort of a bond or a guarantee that um, the performance will be uh, protected. That will be the performance will occur. That uh, the targets will be achieved uh, under a performance guideline, and the failure to perform is uh, is collateralized against some sort of bond instrument. That's how they've been working it in the world market. There's always a guarantee behind the contract overseas. Become instability of the governing entity. Yeah, interesting. This has been a fascinating discussion, and uh, for all the listeners and audience. Um, Please check out um, Gene's uh, website and resources. He has a you know wealth of knowledge and information experience. So 
thanks so much. And we'll look forward to hearing about your future success. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify itunes google amazon audible and without much ado be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next week